29, and then we'll skip, skip to chapter 2. Chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 28 and 29. God blessed them, talking about the man and the woman. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Let me flip over to chapter 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made, he fashioned into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let me pray again for God to bless the, the teaching of his word. God, would you give us understanding now? Left to ourselves, we are steeped in sin. We are flipped upside down in our reasoning and our understanding and in our application. So we pray that you uh, would be our teacher today. You'd send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What are we created to do? What are we supposed to be about with our lives? There's at least three things in this text, uh, the text, the selection that I read that we'll look at uh, in our time this afternoon. The first we could call the devotional mandate or to, to condense it down to one word, worship. We're supposed to be about worship. We've been given a devotional mandate. You see it in, uh, in a couple of verses. Verse 29 of chapter 1 says, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. God had placed Adam and Eve in this, this beautiful place in, in Eden, the land of Eden, in a garden, in, in part of, of Eden. And it was, it was beautiful. It had been created by God specifically for Adam and Eve. And he said, I've given you every plant. Every tree, everything that you would need, I provided for you right here. And then in chapter 2, he sets up a, uh, an interesting thing. He says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What is God doing here? We've talked about it briefly in, in the past couple of weeks. But what God is doing with this tree of this knowledge of, of knowledge of good and evil is God has appointed a means of which man and woman will learn about what good and evil are all about. 
Um, and I truly believe in studying this text that they were either going to learn of it, no matter what they did, no matter what the response was, they would either learn of it in righteousness by obeying and trusting or in rebellion by going their own way and bringing sin into God's good world. Uh, this whole thing that's set up, this whole test that's set up by God was one to say basically, here's what you're supposed to be about. You're supposed to be about worshiping me, trusting me. Your allegiance is supposed to be to me, to nothing else. Your devotion to me. I own you. I am your creator. I've made you and I fashioned you for specific purposes. So trust me. Um, if in the cool of the day, as if we read about in chapter 3, God were to walk into his garden, and we've talked about this, and were to say, you know, Adam were to say to him, hey, God, something weird happened today. That serpent, you know, he came into the garden, and he told us to eat from this tree. He told us to doubt your goodness, that, that maybe you, you didn't uh, tell us everything. Maybe that this tree is something that we should want. And, and we told him no. We told him no because we trust you, and we, we, we are, our allegiance is with you. Then God would have said, Adam, Eve, that's what's called evil. That's what's called rebellion against me. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about who this Satan is and what happened before uh, I even created you. And he could have explained it to them there. But what they ended up doing instead of, of trusting was, was, was trusting themselves and, and going into this rebellion, um, which we'll talk about next week in our time together. It's called sin. Imagine what it would have been like to be in the Garden of Eden, having everything that you need and not sin, having sin never entering the world. What would it be like? Can you imagine what it would have been like to, or what it would be like today to never have to ever question God's goodness, to never have to doubt whether he was for you, um, to never wonder if, you know what, if, 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 if God, God really is, is in this, if, if, if I'm choosing the right way here, that's what we were created for. We were created for a trust relationship with God, to worship Him. And here's the payoff for us today. You were made for worship. That's part of, of who you are. The question isn't, if we are going to worship something, but, but what or who we're going to worship. All of us worship something or someone, most often ourselves, as we put ourselves in the place of God and seek to, to do whatever pleases us. You're made to worship, but things have gone horribly wrong. Number two, we were given not only a devotional mandate, uh, but a relational mandate. If we call the first one worship, we can call this one wedlock. And we read about it in chapter 2. The Lord God said, and this is the first time he said this, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God had given Adam this, this job of naming the animals, and he was bringing each animal to him, which I imagine was a big job. There's a lot of animals that exist on, on earth. And so he would bring an animal before him, and each one would come, and Adam would think of a creative name, you know, aardvark, you know, whatever it is. And he's like, man, you're a neat animal. Or ant eater. Look at that snout. And, you know, you eat the ants. Yeah, you're called an ant eater. Um, whatever it is. And, and, and at, the, at the end of each one, it, it moves on. And, and Adam is like, that was a cool animal. But there's a little bit of hint of sadness. But you are not fit for me. 
you're great. I'll enjoy, you know, seeing you, you do your thing, but, you, but we're, not, we're not fit for one another. God knows that. What is he doing? At each animal that comes up and each animal that Adam names, God's saying, I want you to sense and get a feel of the weight of your aloneness so that when I bring this helper that is fit for you, um, you will extreme, ex- exceedingly rejoice and appreciate her. And that's exactly what happens. God causes them to fall in a deep sleep. He takes a rib and, and he forms woman out of this rib and he brings her to the man. And here it is again, an opportunity to name. And what does Adam do? Well, he, he breaks out into poetry into song. He can't put his words in normal, um, in normal language. He has to break out into this poetry of bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You will be called woman because you're taken from man. He celebrates uh, this helper that is suitable, that is fit for him. And here in Genesis 2, the ordinance of marriage is established that that's what you're created for. You're designed not to, to, to go it alone in this world, to be, to be a part of, of a community, which the, the greatest example, the greatest um, uh, picture of it is marriage, of intimacy, of going and doing all the things that God has called you to do, but not alone, not by yourself, but together as we, we lock arms. It, it may be a given for you that that's a good thing, but it's not for probably most of our world. I was having a conversation uh, a couple weeks ago with some guys, and they were just sharing about some conferences that they'd been on and just what it's like when they go to these business conferences with their, their, their friends, their coworkers, and just how much, how, how amazed they were, they are, about how much hooking up goes on between people that everybody knows is married. Uh, There's such a disregard for the institution, the ordinance, the sacrament of marriage. Um, And so what Moses is telling the people of Israel applies true to us today. You were designed for that. It is a good thing. And it is something to be upheld and appreciated as this is the right way up. (laughs) This is where things work best. This is where uh, things have uh, sex has its best context, its right context. In the, in the confines of marriage. And there's so much good that comes out of it that he's about to go into. Um, it is given that people have a need for relationship. The confusion comes when we ask the question of the reason that we have this need for relationship. It's not simply, as many of us think, for our happiness. That's where we mess up. When we think our marriage, our relationships are just for our happiness. God gives them to us, and, and it brings joy. It brings uh, shouting out of poetry like it did with Adam. But it's also for our holiness. It's also because only in relationship do we get to be the people that we're supposed to be. The third thing that we've been created for, uh, we've been given a cultural mandate, not just a devotional mandate to worship the almighty creator God, not just a relational mandate to to do the things that he's called us to together, arm in arm, but a cultural mandate. We could summarize it as to work, to worship, and to be about wedlock, but to work. There are five commands in chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, be fruitful, uh, multiply or increase, 
fill the earth, subdue uh, the creation, rule over all of these, these things that I've created. As images, we are to be representatives of the king of kings. Richard Pratt tells a story of going to Poland years ago before uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall and, and the, the downfall of, of, of communism. And he said he would go and, and all over the place he'd see these statues um, of, of these men that he didn't know who they were. And he would ask these, uh, these people that he was meeting with, you know, what's the deal here? And they would say, is Russia, is Russia. And he was saying, well, no, that's a, that's a person. That's not Russia. And he said he, he asked his Polish friend about it when he got back. And he said, no, that's what they were saying is that statue represents the rule of, of, of Russia, Mother Russia, and of com- the, the rise and the, the, the rule of communism. They put these images, these statues everywhere to, to basically remind people all the time who's in control and that you better not step out of line. And so... When, when the Berlin Wall fell, when so much of, of, of that stuff happened, you would see pictures uh, of people pulling down all these statues. And it, it didn't make sense to me as a kid seeing all this happen. What's going on? Why, why do we keep seeing pulling down the statues? Why is that a, a big deal? But it was because it was symbolic. We were pulling down these images of this, this corrupt rule over us. And we're celebrating the freedom that we've now got. Well, God could have filled the earth any way he wanted to. The way he chose to do it was by creating us in his image and then sending us out to be his representatives so that we would go everywhere we'd go uh, would be reminders, would be representatives of the king of kings and the rule that, that he is, uh, is established through us. And that rule is worked out in two ways as we read here in the scriptures. The first is to multiply, to multiply which basically means to produce enough images to cover the earth. Uh, and that it works itself out in a number of ways. First of all, the things we think about, to have babies. Uh, and that sounds simple as well. But today, depending on who you talk to, children are a nuisance. Uh, they get in the way of our dreams and our hopes and our plans for ourselves. Um, when, when my wife and I uh, tell people wherever we go, well, do you have any children? Yeah, we've got four. Oh, how old are they? Well, they're six, four, two, and four months. Then people just start, the, the looks on people's faces are, are you crazy? Um, why would you do that? You know, why would you do that to yourself? Um, and, and, you know, the jokes are made. Well, you, you know, that happens, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's men in good fun, but uh, there's an overall sense of, that's, that's abnormal. That's crazy. Why would you want to do that? You know, you realize how much of your freedom you're curtailing by doing that. Things that you're, you're, you're shutting yourself off from. Well, what, what we're thinking is Genesis 1. That we're supposed, we're called as part of our makeup to create images of God to cover the earth. Now, there's wisdom. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. And you've got to think about finances and provision and all that stuff. I'm not saying just... You know, have as many babies as you can, but we are to reproduce. We are to multiply in that way. But it doesn't stop there. We're to multiply images. We're not just to have babies. We're to create and multiply images of God, which includes the teaching, the training, the nurturing of children. Uh, I, I never will forget uh, listening to a sermon CD of, of Vodi Bauckham saying that when he reads that, this is how he thinks about his own children, that he wants to see them on his deathbed, his pictures of them climbing over his dead body and taking the gospel to places that he could never reach by himself. What a vision for, 
raising your children. Not just of, well, I hope that nothing bad ever happens and you get a good job and, and do well for yourself and settle in a safe neighborhood. Not only is that not the vision that Scripture gives, but none of that's guaranteed. We can't control any of that stuff. What we can be about is what we're, we're, we're called to do is create images, pe uh, kids, people, little, little representatives of God that will do the things that he's called them to. That's where they'll find satisfaction and joy in doing and being about the things uh, that they're created to do. Passing spiritual inheritance on to future generations is at the heart of our job as God's image. And that includes every one of us. You who are seasoned, who've got experiences in maturity well beyond mine, have such a value to not just the church, but to the world at large, to impart what you know to be true to another generation, to see um, God's will done. Third way is evangelism and discipleship. If you, you may never be called to, to be married. You may never, as, as a married couple, be able to have children um, and, and put adoption and those things aside. We all can multiply because we can all multiply spiritual children. And we're called to that in the New Testament with, with the Great Commission to go and make disciples of, of the nations, baptizing them, teaching them all that I've commanded you. No one is prevented from multiplying. Lastly, quickly, not just to multiply as a cultural mandate. That's not only part of our work, but to have dominion, to rule, to manage creation on God's behalf. Work is a lot of things, and we could do a, a whole series on just work, but work is, first of all, creative license. You are given an area of God's creation to be creative with, whether it's, it's easy to think about an art of taking paint and whatever else and creating a, a work of art, or music taking and notes and chords and creating a, a, a song that is, is, is unlike any other song that's ever in the world has ever known. The thinking creative there. But even in business, you can create profit. Uh, you can create jobs. Now, you can create an excellent product, depending on what you're doing. You can create uh, security of, uh, and stability in, in a community. You can create machines that make life more efficient. Uh, uh, Work is an area, is an arena that you've been given, no matter what you're called to, uh, to be creative in. Work, secondly, is cultivation. Whether it's uh, landscaping your home or, or landscaping as a business, whether it's, I wish Chuck Duggan was here, whether it's beautifying cars and by owning a car wash or working at a car wash, or whether it's um, making things more efficient, uh, training employees, building buildings, cleaning buildings, um, whether it's developing and cultivating a kid's imagination or a dream of what they could be, uh, but with the strength and help of the Lord, um, or whether it's trying to grow grass in the backyard, which I've been trying to do for four and a half years. Um, we are called to cultivate uh, whatever area God has given us. Thirdly, work is a privileged commission. Um, it's a privileged commission. I wish every profession and area had a way of ordaining uh, their uh, employees, their members, their participants, the way that, that ministers go through an ordination process. And I know some do have similar, similar things, but I, I love being able to look back. We had a Presbyterian meeting this past weekend where we, we called and, and we, we, uh, we, uh, we, we 
we affirm the call of pastors to, um, to pulpits. And it's a great process. You go through the studying and training, and then you're evaluated, and then you're, you're commissioned, and you're sent out to do your job with, with, uh, with, with something to look back on and say, it wasn't just me. I just didn't have a great idea one day and just took off. But I can look back and say, that was affirmed. I was called to that. I wish every, we, I wish we could ordain doctors and lawyers and teachers and uh, secretaries and moms and, and, and give validity to that calling that you have to say, this matters. This area of God's creation, he's given you and he's called you to, to create and cultivate, to have dominion over it. Lastly, work is to be done is unto the Lord. I heard somebody say, you hear the, the rule thrown around in churches that 20% of people do 80% of the work or 100% of the work. Um, I heard somebody say, what if, what if God's made it that way? What if God's made it so that 20% of the church does the work of the church so that 80% can be involved, uh, even super involved in the community, doing their jobs and having a vision for what that community could be to, 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 to bring forth, to cultivate um, things so that they scream of God's glory. Uh, we're, our work is be, to be done unto the Lord, not just when we're at a committee meeting that meets at the church, but when we're in a staff meeting in our offices. Uh, it's not just what we do, but how we do it. Let me end with this and tee it up for, for John to talk about sin next week. If you listen to these things, that we are created to worship and have a trust relationship where there's no worry, there's complete and utter trust and devotion of the God that's created us, that you were created to relate rightly to each other, no conflict, joining arms to go do the things that God's called us to do, that you were created to, to multiply, to have dominion, to rule in such a way that that everything works in such a way to scream of God's glory and of our enjoyment. If you hear that rightly, then you do what I do. You ache that things are flipped upside down, that they're not what they're supposed to be. And that's because of what comes next in Genesis 3, this thing that, that we call sin. And you can't understand it right until you realize what, that you can't understand that you're fallen until you understand what you've fallen from. And when you get the gravity of sin, then you're prepared to really let the weight of who the person and the work of Jesus Christ is for you. That he has come to purchase your salvation so that for the first time you're able to worship God rightly. And then he's given you the ability in him, relying on his strength, to relate rightly for the first time with those around you. Not just with your spouse, but with everybody. To love and to forgive and to see relationships mended and then to take uh, your area of of dominion and to create it and cultivate it in such a way that it works rightly and that won't be completed until jesus comes back and, and and makes all things new but if we put our work to that hands today we can guarantee it's going to be everlasting everlastingly fruitful because those are the things that god has set up in his creation those are the things he's coming to finish when he comes back to restore all things. Let's pray that we'd put our hands to those kind of things today because that's what we've created for. God, thank you that you've made us for huge things, things that are, are extremely significant, way beyond and more weighty than we most of the time give credit for. God, give us a vision for 
our homes, our neighborhoods, our community, our jobs, um, to, to cultivate them in such a way that they scream of your glory. Help us to be creative with that, to manage things and to, to do our work for, for, for your glory and not our own and not our own self-serving purposes. Help us to worship you and you alone and help us to relate rightly to one another in the way that you've designed us to. God, the only way that's going to happen is through a relationship with you and by you working in our lives to rid sin and to make us more like your son Jesus. Thank you that he has come and done everything that's needed for us to have a relationship with him. And we pray that we would trust in him more and more every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.